0: Welcome to another episode of Stay Paid. I'm Joshua Stike along with Luke Acree. And our guest today is Jamie Hopkins. We're going to bring him on in just a second. But after we got done recording this episode, Luke, we both kind of looked at each other and was like, and that, that, that a was a really <laughs> smart guy.
1: Yeah, no, Jamie From marketing is to practice management
0: smart. to how to build your business to how to find your why. Like we're going to get yeah. into a ton of stuff. And on just this wait interview.
1: until you hear. How many days he ran straight in a row? This is <laughs> That's not a metaphor. That's literally, literally we him, ran this many days in a row. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the gold was throughout this interview. But
0: then at the end, when we asked him your daily habits and what would you go back and tell your younger self, man, such solid advice. Yeah, you have to really stick around advice. for that. Before we bring Jamie on, we'd love it if you take a minute to subscribe to Stay Paid Podcast on Apple Podcast or Spotify if you're not already subscribed. And while you're there, drop a review to let us know uh, how we're doing. We'll read it here on the show. This week's featured review. This is so cool. This comes from the Republic of Trinidad and Tobago, this person. Oh, yeah. Arian Tolma. So I hope I pronounce that. Ariane Toma says, a good and smart way to spend your time. Rates of five stars. These guys are proper entertaining. Proper entertaining. But more importantly, they know how to get the best bits out of the guests. The interview on webinars with Brad Swinehart changed my post-webinar pitch around 100% must listen so thank you so much for leaving that review that episode with brad swinehart was episode 241 called turning webinars into massive concrete business so you can get that there and listen to it really appreciate your reviews and now let's get on to this week's interview Our guest today is Jamie Hopkins. Jamie is the managing partner of Wealth Solutions at Carson Wealth. As a nationally recognized writer and researcher, he's a regular contributor to Forbes, Investment News, and Market Watch, as well as being featured on Wall Street Journal podcast, NPR radio, and Fox radio. In 2012, he co-created the Retirement Income Certified Professional designation, which has over 6,000 graduates and over 12,000 financial advisors currently enrolled in the program. Jamie, thanks so much for being here. Welcome to Stay Paid.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it and looking forward to the convo here today.
1: Yeah, man. It's awesome to have you on. You have accomplished a ton. Carson Group is just crushing it. I mean, you guys are just growing like crazy. It's unbelievable just even watching myself watching the last couple of years. (laughs) I would love to hear, you know, kind of share your story with the audience, how you got into what you're doing today and lead us up to kind of where you're at. What drove you into it? What drove your passion for financial advising and helping financial advisors?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been a fun ride already for me here at Carson, and uh, it's going to be fun for the next couple of years too. just uh, the kind of the course that we're on. But uh, interestingly enough, I'll kind of say where I am today. So I'm a managing partner at Carson, um, in charge of Wealth Solutions, which that I, you know, we kind of made up that name in a meeting, like all titles are. Yep. Uh, so we've got marketing and next gen and events and our coaching company and everything. Financial planning is like goes to all these amazing leaders, and now somehow I'm supposed to add value to them. <laughs> and uh, that's my role here today. And I came on board Carson to run the retirement division. I did that for about a year, then uh, took on. In addition to that, our coaching company, which has been around since 1993. But the story starts like well before all of that, um, which is, you know, kind of my why story. So I'll just go to that, which is, uh, you know, I was uh, eight years old and uh, my dad, neither one of my parents went to, you know, they're not college graduates. They did construction. My dad did all, all things high up so roofing fascia gutters um you know on ladders and uh, eight years old in baltimore went up one day and uh, you know started raining temperatures dropped Aluminum ladders freeze over faster than yeah. roofs came down, slipped and was gone. And so all of a sudden you've got my mom running this company mm. without the person that does the work, right? She, I've got four younger sisters and, uh, you know, we lived on social security widow's benefits for a while, right? Mm. I mean, um, wow. that's the, that's, I didn't know that social security widow benefits were a thing then, right? I, I did know that the government sent us checks at one point cause I saw them, but I didn't even know why, uh, and so they, that's just become a core part of who I am and why I care about, you know, kind of impacting financial services and getting more people advice like my mom. Like my mom and dad are the perfect example of somebody who should have just had term insurance, right? Like, mm. and I don't, I'm not out there selling term insurance to people today, but I look back and it's like, that's the perfect solve for a highly dangerous job, young family, not college educated, the only person earning the income. And they didn't have that and they didn't have advice and they didn't interact. And so my mom's never had a 401k. Right, never had a pension, has never really been part of any kind of traditional system. And so, this whole like, you know, as I started to grow up and I would see TV ads saying, come do your retirement planning here. And then I I went and I started off as an attorney and I got to work on one of Bernie Madoff's cases, uh, which was very cool. Hmm. And all these things are just kind of coming together and they're building your story, right? Like, nothing's a perfect path out there in the world, but. I saw the opposite side of where I felt like financial services should be, right? Where there should be this trusted relationship, but Bernie's was the opposite, right? Like everyone trusted him, but he completely abused it and was just stealing money and defrauding people, right? Mm -hmm. Versus, and then I saw when he died actually last year that he was the, he got rated as the most recognizable financial advisor in the country, right? Like, wow, (laughs) here's where we've got people like my parents who just need basic advice and don't even really trust the systems and the systems aren't there to help them. And then their most recognizable person is essentially, right, a fraudster eventually, right? He did have a real business for a while. But, um, you know, and, and my goal was then to impact that and make retirement more kind of available to Americans. So you, you brought up one, which is I went and then taught and I thought, hey, I'm going to teach advisors how to do this. And then I realized that if I don't help build the systems for people, it only goes so far, right? Like you can teach people things and education is incredibly important. I'm a huge fan of it. It's a part of every solve, but we also know for a fact that education doesn't solve a lot of stuff by itself, right? Mm-hmm. So I had this moment where I also realized like, I, I want to actually have a bigger impact. And so I need to go build something. And that's where I ended up looking at Carson and I saw just the growth trajectory that had happened before me. And then, you know, we've more than three X our size in the three years I've been there. Right. So we're serving almost 38 to 39,000 households now today, which is a pretty big impact. But, you know, I'm excited for one day when I turn around and say that's millions of households.
1: Man, that's amazing. So I want to point out because I think there's a huge golden nugget in what you said, which is you know, education is amazing, which I believe in it too, right? And I think is what's needed. But unless you implement systems and processes to drive change, you almost are just going to get a blip, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to help someone for a little bit, and then they're going to go back down. And I've seen this in our own business at Reminder Media, where it's like, I am naturally by my own personality, an influencer, a motivator, someone who wants to get out there and coach and do all those things. But what I have found is that that coaching only blips people. It's like it—you only they get the knowledge, but it doesn't mean they execute on it. And that's why the systems and the scalability of that is so essential. I just want to point that out to the audience that's listening. So let's dive in because your whole like um, blueprint that you guys do for your coaching is based around this whole guide that you've put together. And you know, I was looking at it a little earlier today, and I think it's really um, apropos for what you just talked about, which is finding your why, right? So you just shared your why story, which drove you. And I know you try to help, you know, people and advisors really set up finding, Hey, how do you get the blueprint of your business? Like how do you become successful in financial advising and actually make impact? And I think it starts a lot with your why and your purpose. Can you talk a little bit about that and what you do from a coaching standpoint at Carson group?
2: Yeah. And and coaching kind of developed in a similar fashion there where, you know, originally Ron Carson, our CEO, would just go tell people what to do (laughs) and (laughs) they'd find out years later nobody did anything. And it was discouraging to him that he was spending all this time building resources and people weren't actually doing it. And then we hired coaches to add the accountability and then eventually Ron eventually realized that you need to go one step further than that, which is actually the systems. But blueprinting is all about what you brought up, which is that that just that notion of kind of starting at the end. To some degree, too. So one of the things we tell people to write is their eulogy, which Mm. I think is a really cool thing. If you haven't done it, write it. Uh, Daryl Green, Hall of Fame football player, him and I talked about this recently, too. He came to one of our coaching events and he said, you know, he wants to be remembered as Daryl Green, the person and then all the other stuff. And, you know, which you know, then I still introduce him as Hall of Fame football player. And I need to, you know, do the great, great man, great person. And, you know, he played some football. But that's a really interesting thing, right? Like, are you going to be remembered in the way that you want to be remembered? And so write that. Um, Find your why. And the why is great because it, it, you know, it actually makes you better at whatever you do. It gives you energy. Uh, I often talk about it like going back to the well right? If you get worn out and at some point you're, you know, I don't know why I do this and everyone falls into that at some point, if your story is because it's personal and it's about your parents, it's about a friend that passed away, you know, whatever it might be, you'll never get tired because you get tired. You just think about that and, you know, go, oh yeah. Like, mm-hmm. why am I reading this social security article for some advisor I've never met on a Saturday night after my kids went to bed when I'm trying to watch, you know, Loki or whatever. And I haven't started watching it yet, but I would like to. And, uh, but it's easy. I'm like, you know, what if more people read this and they make better social security decisions because of the why? That's a good thing. So, you know, we run that on the coaching side. We, we coach actually about 1,200 to 1,400 advisory firms at any given time. Wow. And it's a lot of impact, but there are still Parts there that you know people stop short and they're unable to implement, and we call that IQ right implementation quotient. And so, if you, you know great ideas are fine, but if you can't implement them, it still doesn't have the impact that you want to have. Uh, you know, so coaching's good, education is good. I, you know, I love both of those, but I do know that all this needs to build upon each other. They're not single solutions out there.
0: Mm. Mentioning the eulogy is a great uh, idea of being able to get towards your why or your purpose. Um, obviously, you have a very personal story. Are there any other like what are the exercises you would go through with somebody to uncover their their why? Does a lot of that flow from the eulogy? or are there other ways to kind of tap into that?
2: yeah, there's other ways to tap into it. And interestingly enough, like this side of the profession, financial services, people always tend to end up here, like not in direct path, right? Like you ask everyone, how'd you get here? Well, I really came about this industry a different way, but that's everyone's story. So like <laughs> everyone came into this industry with a different path. That's going to get a little bit better. There's more colleges and universities actually offering this now as a, you know, kind of education program, but it's typically tapping into like, so why do you care about? this, you know, what drives you. And sometimes I run into people that don't have a really great why they just saw it. They they saw somebody in their neighborhood that had a fancy car and the back. Of the license plate said stocks and they were like, that's where I want to be. I want to drive a cool car. Um, but long term, you eventually have to find it. Uh, we have people. I mean, you know, I'm probably not in front of the mirror as much anymore, but we'll actually have people shoot videos and send them back to the coach and the coach will critique it. So we make people verbally go through their why and we can we can work with with. with people on structuring that it's in there somewhere. Like if you honestly want to be successful in any line of business, you have to find a why. And sometimes it's, you know, I want to provide for my family. Like, I've got a good friend. Mm. He's a, you know, and his, his version is he wants to provide generational wealth for his family. So it's not necessarily tied exactly to this profession, but it's his driving why on why he wants to be extremely successful in whatever he does. It just happens to be this industry. So then it's, you know, okay, what happened to your parents? Why was that important? How did it develop your, relationship with money and then how are you going to instill that into your kids and that becomes your why story mm. and so any way that you operate or structure you can bring that in and i think that's one hurdle some people have mentally like oh it's a career and i picked it because it was a good career Well you still have a why right like is it providing for your family is it because you want freedom and that's a really cool exercise too i forget that I, I wasn't planning on bringing that one up but um We've done this sometimes too. We, I just did this recently for myself, but rate how free you feel on a scale of one to 10 mm. and then tell us what it means to you to be free. It is the first time I've ever done that exercise That's and it was awesome. really powerful. I do know what it means to be free for me. However, I rated myself at like a one. I've got three kids, four, three, and two. <laughs> the reality is there's no freedom in that no world. there. <laughs> Yeah, like my notion of freedom, the ability to. Yeah, it's just not there. Right. (laughs) But I I can see the path to get there. Um, So those are all good things. The last thing I will tell you about the why story to not forget is, you know, it's the heart part of it. So I've heard people tell the why story and they try to remove that like emotional part of it. It's not the right thing to do. Leave the emotion in. And if it's there's a messiness to it because you failed at some point in your life, like that's okay too. People actually like you better if they know that you failed at things, right? Like perfect people are not very relatable. So, um, it's better to be messy. And sometimes people in professional settings need to be like, I need to remove that. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I can't let them know that I was a bad student. Right. And like, I failed out of school. Like, no, that's okay. Right. Like, you know, there are certain things in financial world. You might not want to tell people like you embezzled money and went to jail for a while, (laughs) then came back and reinvented yourself as an insurance salesperson. Like that's probably not the best story, but, um, there are like, so there are, there are limits of uh, how trusting people might find you.
1: <laughs> That's great, man. I love that. So talk a little bit about then, cause I know obviously you want to develop the why, that passion, that purpose, you want to implement systems, all great stuff. Let's talk cause our podcast is about sales and marketing. And it's it's how do you drive, you know, business and you run marketing there, at Carson Group. Can you give us your kind of idea? I was telling Josh earlier, like the financial services industry, like how do you make it sexy? Like it's just when you talk about estate planning, you talk about annuities and it's just not maybe for for a lot of financial advisors listening to this, it is. But for me, it's just as a consumer, <laughs> it's just not something that is riveting or something like that. So what's your view on marketing? How do you help advisors think about it? What do you guys look at there?
2: Yeah. And there, uh, two things there. One, uh, you know, I would be very clear with everyone. I don't run marketing. We have a great CMO that's way better at this, <laughs> but I, I try to, I try to add something of value there. Um, and what I, yeah, it's, it's not a sexy, um, you know, it's not a sexy profession, even for people to join it. Um, you, we get more career changers and people directly going in the whole narrative is kind of off. It's, it's been a lot of fear driven marketing in the financial world for a long time, right? Like, Oh, you know that most people are going to, you know, run out of money in retirement oh you're gonna die and your family's gonna be left in squalor if you don't do estate planning it's it's been this very negative approach Mm. to everything or a flip side that's like not very relatable and they show like this like jacked 78 year old surfing in bali as retirement which applies to like some minutiae of the population right and those are like kind of the two things you get and i don't think it's been very relatable to most people and i think part of that is you know it it's been very product sales oriented versus solution oriented historically. And, you know, products that are financial derivatives can only be so sexy to people um, versus, you know, stories around those. And so if you see what's happened recently, I mean, this is the stuff that's appealing to people, right? Like AMC and the, you know, meme stuff. there's stories that get generated around these stocks or cryptocurrencies and they become appealing to people. So I do think one of the the main things is we have to get better at storytelling in this profession and, you know, make it more relatable and understanding why. I also, you know, I I do think that technology experience has been terrible here. So like the user experience of a lot of financial stuff is awful. Like, I mean, it's so far out of date. Mm. Um, You know, I, I literally still had to sign paper for like literally paper documents for an insurance product that I needed during the pandemic and somebody had to drop it off. And it's like, as you know, literally, right, you can go on Amazon, click a button, I can get a car and they drop it (laughs) off at your house and you never have to sign anything. And like, I can't get a basic term insurance policy without signing some papers. And, you know, that stuff hurts, right? That's not going to increase sales out there. It's not a good marketing effort. So there's some true kind of soul searching on the technology side. I do think that disruption is going to come. I think this week I saw something Amazon hopped into the liability insurance world with a joint venture. Oh, wow. So we've been talking about that's coming for a long time and it's starting to get here. Uh, But when I get back to another question you ask is how do you make it sexier? I I think the personalization of this is important. And so that's advisors taking things more personal. You're seeing more of this in the younger demographic of the RIA market, where you go to their websites and there's pictures of them and their family on there. It's not the stock photos of the professional in the suit in New York that's on 12 different people's websites. So, you know, personalize your, you know, stuff, which I think we were just told not to do in this profession, right? Like it was, kind of supposed to be like dollars and money and spreadsheets, not personalized, very rigid, and just didn't take a lot of the information from best practices of marketing. So I, I every time I talk to an advisor, I'm like, do a personal blog. Then they're like, you know, that's the blog I've been asked the most about. I'm like, yeah, that's literally everywhere in the world, right? <laughs> that's the stuff that people follow. And I think the more that we can get that into this profession, the better we'll be. Um, and so then it's just how do you scale that? I mean, that's the big challenge for marketing moving forward is how do we scale personalization? And I know that before we got on here and did the recording, uh, we partnered with Bain Capital here at Carson recently. So they're I think the third largest private equity of uh, uh, firm in the world. And they came from that consulting world background, which is the coolest part about working with them. And when we were looking for a partner there, we talked about capabilities, not cash. This wasn't a liquidity event for Carson. Um, you know, it's really, we swapped out an old PE firm, brought in a new one with a lot more capabilities. And their view of marketing is just is really refreshing for me, which is odd to say when you talk about like a PE firm. Yeah, being that's refreshing very odd from- to say. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Normally, you don't hear that for for VCs Ah. and PE firms. No,
2: <laughs> and you're like, really? And I'm like, yeah, because the what, the, but what they're bringing is all this external views of other places, right? They've owned they've owned Burger King and Dunkin' Donuts before, and like they're bringing those ideas of what have worked to financial services now and wealth management. And they had this really cool statement that the um it, being in the wealth management world right now for sales and marketing is like getting next year's newspaper today, right? That we can literally see into the future of what's working from sales to marketing because this wealth management space is just so far behind the rest of the world. And that's client experience, it's sales, it's marketing. And a lot of that's, look, we have rigidity around regulations in this space. So there's certain things you can't say. And and then there's hesitation and compliance departments slow things down. So there's a reason for that, right? But then when we look out there, there's so much opportunity in this space to be different that it's. I don't know that there's ever been a more exciting time to be interested in marketing than there is right now in financial services.
1: No, I would agree with you. The disruption that is coming. The question would be is, will compliance and the regulators loosen up even more? I mean, I know in financial services, they just now are starting to allow testimonials. Like reviews, like think about that as a as a novel concept. Like in every industry, it's like how do you want to judge a product by reviews? But not in financial services. <laughs> you can't show reviews. You can't do that stuff. Uh, but you know they're just starting to allow that. But I love what you're saying and you're tapping into, which is what we firmly believe, Josh and I. It is all about relevancy. And that comes through personalization. Like the more personal you can make marketing, the more personal you can make it to that individual, the more they'll pay attention. And if they pay attention, the more you can deliver a message and get them to take action on something. And I always use the example of like Facebook, right? They serve up to you ads based upon what you're clicking on and what you're searching for. And it's super personal, super relevant. Like I'll put to like, I'm on this cut, like this workout, trying to trim some weight. And I literally Googled ab exercises for the lower stomach. And on my Instagram is a 30-day course for abs. Like that's how good data is driving advertising. And I paid attention because it was super (laughs) relevant. And so for a financial advisor, maybe you can't go to that extent, right? But you can 100% go to the extent of who are your clients, And what are their likes and interests? And do you know them? I mean, a simple one would be, if you're my financial advisor, do you actually know I'm married to my wife, Megan? And do you know what she does for a living? And do you know that we just had our first little girl, Evelyn? I am blown away how few financial advisors actually connect deeper than just the transactional part of the business. I don't know if you see that too when you're coaching, but that's what we see and it blows our mind.
2: Yeah, and what I'll tell you is though that really cool data and marketing is a lot closer than you'd expect. Now we've just started to experiment with this, so we're not great at it yet. But the geofence idea, um, so it's a you know similar idea of how to market, right? I mean, what you know what Facebook did there and Instagram is you know essentially geofencing via the internet and your searches, right, and what you're looking for. But great example is you, your wife, you've got a new kid. targeting places where new parents would take their kids, right? Mm -hmm. So you could use like children's hospitals and doctor's facilities and geofence there. And then people are like, well, what do I want to do about that? You run, hey, have you thought about setting up a 529 for your newborn? Okay. That all of a sudden becomes very personal, right? Even though it's not as personal as, you know, what Facebook is able to do with that data yet, but you can get pretty close because if you walk out of there, you see a financial advisor that just, you know, on, on your, you know, it ad on your phone that says, wow, you know what? We should be thinking about that 529. You're right. And here's a free download for the five things I need to do. You might click on it, right? Um, That stuff's coming and honestly hasn't been out there. We've just started to kind of experiment with that. And then some pretty cool things like, you know, we've done some around dog parks, which is really interesting because there's a certain demographic that actually take expensive dogs to dog parks. (laughs) And like, (laughs) there's really interesting stuff like that, that you're not, you know, and then you can get pretty personalized, like pet insurance for your 2000. thousand dollar poodle mm. is a very personalized thing but it's actually not hard to find that person anymore like i can find that very specific person with a very specific need it's very amazing. quickly Yeah. And that stuff is like, that's, that gets you excited, right? When you start thinking about the opportunity there to add value and get in front of people and the right audience. I mean, that's the email, the mass market email that advisory worlds use for a long time. That's the part that, that sucks about it, right? Like is everyone gets the same, here's five things to do for retirement. Yep. And like, you're getting the same email as the person who is literally thinking about retirement (laughs) and that's their marketing campaign.
1: (laughs) It's the data revolution. Like that is what it is. its like everything's going to be driven by data and the more niche down or more targeted you can be, the better, obviously, your results are going to be in it. So I love it. I'm excited it's coming to financial services. I'm
0: excited. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so let me ask you this, uh, Jamie, because I, I want to get your take on like, okay, so the number one question we get from, you know, our listeners is basically, how do you go about generating leads? Right. And we just talked about personalization. We just talked about geofencing. I'm curious for like what you guys see, like what's your number one lead grabber? Like what brings the leads in the door for you? Is it seminars? Is it mailers? Is it ads? What What is it?
2: Yeah. So we use a little bit of everything today. So I will say that, right? Um, we, we have advisors that grow via seminars. Number one's referrals in our space. I mean, you brought that up. Like, I mean, how crazy it is that we're just being able to do testimonials. Um, but referrals is still probably the top way. So how have we been able to grow on that kind of faster than anyone else is we free our advisors up from other stuff. So one way that we looked at that a couple years ago was, well, if you're doing 15 technology reviews a year of tech, like as the advisor, because you're trying to figure out if that fits into your business, what happens if we free you up from 15 reviews of technology that allows you to go work those avenues more. So we started there and how do we just free up the advisor or CEO's time? Now, seminars are still going to be there. Seminars, you know, you have to, there's a lot of, that goes into those. Some advisors are good at them. Some shouldn't do them. Mm. So it's a reality. It's, it's not actually for everybody. Um, mailers work too. Uh, oddly enough, right? I, I know sometimes people get shocked by that. We still advise people to actually mail physical things out, right? And it, it works, right? I, I know you guys know that, that too. Yep. Um, it's like actually better now. than email now, right? I, I know people <laughs> that shocks them too, but email's tough because it's very, very competitive. Yep. The the other thing that works really well for us is something that we, anything you can make interactive. And so what I mean by interactive is downloads we use, but we get a much better pickup when we create calculators that can solve for a particular problem. So it's the, hey, should I refinance my car loan right now or should I lease versus buy? Am I on track for retirement? What's my risk profile? Um, am I allocated appropriate for my risk? Those types of technology tools, we rolled one out um, when the SECURE Act passed two years ago. And I don't remember the number anymore, so I shouldn't say it out loud. But we did more leads in that month with that tool than we did the six months prior. Wow. Right. So literally and like Barons actually was using that tool on their articles then too. Mm. So those types of things drive a lot. Um, and then you know, Ron Carson, our, our CEO, still goes back to, look, he built his business on love affair marketing, and that's what worked for him. And we have a lot of advisors that still do that. Um, so passion prospecting would be a piece of that great one. Um, and for certain businesses, it works for certain businesses. It doesn't work as well because margins aren't always necessarily at the levels that support you to like, you know, financial advice world, you can take a really high end prospect out on a, you know, golf trip or hunting trip or, right. you know, whatever it might be. Um, now if you're, you know, you make a dollar off of each person you serve, you're probably not doing that. So it's, uh, <laughs> you know, a little bit different based on industry. But those are all the things that we're using today. The big next piece of financial services and this is something that we're looking at and I've wanted to do since before I even got to Carson is what is that great um, consumer experience that's the equivalent in the financial planning world of Robin Hood or Betterment or Lemonade. And you see all these service wagmo on the pet insurance side that are developing these really cool, scalable systems and financial services and planning needs that too. It doesn't really exist to to a good extent today. Um, you know, we're working on that probably with a 10,000 other people that are trying to get in there, but I think that's big because, um, I don't think a lot of people care where it's coming from anymore. Um, where, in the sense that location used to be really important for the advisory business, Mm. right? Like if you weren't located where I could drive to see your office, it was a no-go. And so people are always like, well, why didn't that grow faster? I was like, because of that, that they wanted to go sit in front of their advisor. That's not 100% gone, but it's gone enough now that, something can actually occur there right it just took a while to get there but we're okay with that now people are doing zooms that barrier got pushed down last year and it's kind of gone so we will see something really cool there pretty quickly um i mean hopefully a lot of stuff I, i hope we see 20 things that are really cool there not one
0: Love it. Love the everything that Jamie's talking about right there. Also, when it comes to generating leads, getting people to raise their hand, it's all focused back on the value that you're adding and the number of times that he mentioned the client experience, whether that's with the tools that you're using to help them make those decisions, Mm -hmm. or it's with those items of value, those lead magnets that you're bringing people into your funnel with. So Jamie, I want to ask you because super successful, we like to ask everybody on the podcast Uh, about, you know, are there any daily routines, any habits that you've developed that you would attribute to your success, whether that's in your personal life? I know with your, you know, your young children, probably those (laughs) daily habits are completely out of whack now, or your professional life that you feel have really uh, helped add to your success.
2: Yeah. So I'll give you two things. Uh, One of them is something I still do today. So That's a good one. Um, And I picked that up since I've been here. So every day I write my six most important things that I need to accomplish that day. So we just call that your six most. um, And we preach that across the the whole organization. But I do that every single day. I fill up notebooks with them. And every day I just start off the day. And if I didn't finish one or two from the next day, it reminds me to pull it over. That's awesome. Um, It It really helps you focus on what you need to do that day. It also tells me if I had a good day or not, right? Like I average, I think like 11 Zoom meetings a day now. And like, I hate that because I always told everyone I hated meetings and I spend all my days in meetings now. (laughs) But if I look back at that, I'm like, I might kind of forget what I, what all those meetings were for. But if I hit my six most, I was like, you know what? I, I had a successful day regardless of what else happened. And when I get to cross those out through the day, you're like, OK, today was a good day. So on to the next day. So that's a really good way to keep focus, but also just kind of give yourself the pat on the bat. You're actually doing what you're trying to do. Um, so I find it useful in both of those. The other one's always been exercise for me now is you're right, like. I am I'm not as disciplined on this as I once was, but I actually ran for three thousand and four consecutive days outside. Um, I didn't wow. miss a single day of running. And so you guys are right here outside Philadelphia. So I've run in you know, snowstorms and 100 degrees weather. And, you know, I, I you know, I just dedicated mentally to that. And honestly, it was, you know, very good for me from a professional standpoint, that dedication to something. And, you know, it, there's a lot of physical aspects of it, but it really became a mental journey at some point. You know, I uh, you know broke three ribs falling down a staircase in Tulsa um, and ran literally every single day with broken ribs, which wow. completely sucks because when you get out of breath, it's just killing you. <laughs> And there's like there's nothing you can do for like five minutes. So it's like you then I like they like, I got a lot better at like breath control than running, oddly enough, because I like didn't want to get really out of breath with broken ribs
1: running. <laughs>
2: I'm still
0: nervous. trying to fathom the fact that you ran every day for nine years. Is that yeah, how the math yeah. works
2: out there? Yeah, almost nine years. Yeah, so over like, eight wow. years. Yeah, it's, uh, dude, you're and, like forced away too. <laughs> yeah. So I, I didn't get carried away. That was the goal at the end. So my, my priorities to changed, right? I had two kids then. And I said, it, I, I, I you literally
1: know. see Jamie on a road <laughs> running just like Forrest Gump. And then all of a sudden he just stops and goes, well, it's over. Um, it's over. <laughs> yeah, nine years. Yep. Nine. That's amazing, man. I cannot believe how disciplined that is. Nine years of running. Unbelievable. Well, what would you go back and tell your younger self? What advice would you give yeah.
2: So it, it's pretty simple. I think believe in myself more. So I had a lot of limiting beliefs younger. So I, uh, interesting, another story, which could be its whole own thing. Um, I grew up swimming and I swam on NBAC out of Baltimore. And so Michael Phelps and I are about a month apart in age. We swam every day together. Hmm. Uh, at least when I showed up, he showed up every day. And, uh, <laughs> uh, from, you know, about age seven or eight, all the way up to age 20 and same practices, everything. Um, now look, I couldn't have been anywhere as good as Michael was, but I always In my mind didn't think of myself as talented in it, but I just didn't know how to train. I didn't know how to take care of myself. I didn't know how to dedicate myself to something. So I put all these limiting beliefs on my own abilities and it wasn't just there. It was across the board. And as I've gotten experience and some of this might sound bad, but like once you get some experience around like really high up people and companies and CEOs and you know, my experience has been like, wow, I could be that CEO. That yep. CEO is not all that smart or talented. <laughs> and I realized that like there isn't this gap that I put on myself. But growing up, I thought people that were CEOs were untouchable and they were different than everyone else. And that you know, I didn't realize that you know, with athletics to later on. Now there is a difference, right? Like Michael is more talented than me. He's taller. He's got this amazing wingspan, and he's you know, there there are there are limits to my abilities there, but they weren't anywhere where I thought they were, right? Like. I had coaches that were like, Jamie, you could be close to an Olympic swimmer. And I didn't believe it. And it wasn't until I was like almost done that I looked back and said, you know what? They were right. But I put all this on myself that I wasn't good enough. So that's the main thing. I don't know if I'd listen, but, you know, maybe that's that's what I wish I knew then that I know now.
0: Man, that is such powerful advice. It's almost like when you, uh, you know, you look at teachers or doctors now, like, you know, when you were young, they're like these know all beings. And then you look at, wait, you're just. You're like me. Yeah, yeah. Wait a second. You're younger than me. Wait a minute. You've learned from trial and error (laughs) and a book. (laughs) We're all humans trying to do this together. Love it. Thanks so much for being here, Jamie. Before we close out, let people know how they can connect with you or learn more about Carson.
2: Yeah. So uh, Carson best way is Carson So we're a comprehensive financial advisory firm. And then we also do coaching for advisors and only advisors. That's the group we work with me personally. Easiest way to connect with me is actually on Twitter. I'm um, at retirement risks um, because I start off as a retirement guy, but <laughs> uh, feel free to follow me there.
0: Awesome. Love it. Awesome. Thanks again, Jamie. Thank you all so much for listening. Dive deeper in this episode. Get all the show notes and the links that Jamie mentioned there. You can go to statepaidpodcast.com. And while you're there, you can also get the video for all of our episodes. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to show your support, the first way is to head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating along with a comment to let us know what you thought of this episode. And the best way is to tell a friend and share this episode on your social media. If you want to get hold of me or Luke, you can reach us at podcast podcast.remindermedia.com. And of course, you can follow along with our journey here on Instagram. We are at Stay Paid Podcast. For this episode of Stay Paid, I'm Joshua Stike.
1: Guys, and I'm Luke Acree. Jamie thoroughly enjoyed this interview, man. Really, really appreciative of your time. So many golden nuggets in there. Two action items for all of you listening that I think you could execute on. You could pick one of them or do both of them. One is write your eulogy. Write your eulogy. If you've never done that, do that. I think that could be a really powerful exercise for you that you can literally execute on tonight, tomorrow. The second is, Write down how free you are. How free are you on a scale of one to 10? And then what does freedom actually mean to you? Those two action items can be so powerful and have such a dramatic impact on what you're doing and in your business and helping you grow. Remember, the difference between top producers and and mediocre producers in every single industry is top producers take action. Take action on that today.